What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm excited about today's episode because we've got Will Smith for the episode today, and he talked to us about how much he hates Chris Rock. Wait, <laughs> sorry, wrong episode. Hey, this Will Smith is actually from E3 Partners, and he talked about actually sharing the gospel with our friends, our neighbors, and people around the globe. He talks about how it starts with prayer, but then we have to transition into that awkward first conversation. And he gives us a practical way of opening the door to that conversation and how to go to the next step with people that we don't know. It can be awkward, but it's what we're all called to do. All of us are called to lay down our lives in this way. So enjoy the episode. This is Will Smith from E3 Partners. Here we go. Hey, my name's Will Smith. Good to meet you guys. So you can tell everyone, you wouldn't believe who came to that discipleship thing. <laughs> who would have thought? You know, he's turning a corner. You know, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, well, the joke, you know, it just goes on and on. So I just didn't put Smith on there. So anyway, it's nice to be with you guys, really. Um, let me just start with just something uh, that just happened to me this morning as I was, I was kind of was wrestling through the night and thinking about the issue, the idea of discipleship and the idea of not only knowing what to say and do in order to glorify Jesus by helping them to be more fruitful and follow in what He did, but also be able to transfer that to other people. And I was just thinking, man, you know what? Like we could actually be a part of that experience. And Dylan, you and I talked about this this morning. We we could actually participate that, not just not just be theory, and not just talk about it and vision cast for it. We could actually participate in it as we go table to table and have conversations. And I want to show you a simple way to do that. And after we do this, this will be a good way to get to know each other. Hopefully, it'll be a memorable moment in your time here. But uh, then we'll go on to talk about strategy coordination. You know, but uh, what I thought was. Um, what if we went and spoke to people throughout the day and we simply asked them this question? We said uh, to them, if God could do a miracle in your life, what would that be? And really meant it. I mean, like, who doesn't want to know that? I want to know that. I want to know that about you. And so a few of you in this room, we've, we've practiced that. But we're going to do that now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask... Um, Let's see. I'm going to pick on this gentleman because he's just so darn good looking. Stand up a second. I want to talk to you. What's your name? Jared. I like your hair, man. Come on up here. Jared. Now, this is going to seem kind of like, this is real. Like, I've just met Jared. My name's Will. We know each other a little bit. But Jared, seriously, this isn't just an exercise, but I want to know, like, if God could do a miracle in your life, what would that be? To be more intentional with sharing the gospel. And it's Gerald. Jared. Jared. Yes. Father, I want to pray for Jared and ask you, God, that you would grant him his desire uh, to be more intentional about discipleship, sharing the gospel, and just generally being fruitful in his life and, and uh, help him to turn that corner and to be intentional and uh, to be able to do that. And this would be a really special moment in his life and his calling in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So now before you sit down. I asked you a very specific question, didn't I? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you remember what it was? Can you tell me? What did I ask you? You asked me if one thing God could do to change me, what would it be? Right, right. So I, that was close. It's yeah. okay. Cause it's the first time you heard it. I didn't warn you. That was going to be, <laughs> if God could do a miracle in your life, what would that be? So if God could do a miracle in your life, what would that be? So do you appreciate being prayed for? Yes. Did you? I mean, good. I enjoyed it too. But, but I've prayed for you, so why don't we just do a little discipleship here, right? Okay. And you, you, you can ask me that question. If right. I could do one thing for you, Mr. Will, what would it be to change your life? The one miracle that I would really appreciate prayer for would be if my brother Rusty would come to know Jesus. Okay. All right. But let us pray. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this afternoon, Father God, just thanking you for who you are, Father God. Lord, we just thank you for Brother Will right now, Father God. You heard his petition, Father God, mm. Lord, about Brother Rusty, Father God. Just move in a special way right now in both of their lives, Father God. Continue to let Will stand in the path, Father God, to be that light for Rusty, Father God. Yeah. Just continue to stir Rusty's heart, Father God, and mm. seek after you, Father God, Lord. And we just pray, Father God, that no matter what goes on, Father God, that you are the way, the truth, and the light, Father God, Lord. Just continue to have your way in both of their lives, mm. Father God, and in their path. Father God, in your name we pray. Amen. Mm. Now, I'm not quite done yet. Almost. Okay. But uh, ask me that question one more time. If God could do one miracle in your life, change your life, what would it be? All right. Now, I'm going to ask you to say it one more time. It's okay. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. If God could do one miracle in your life right now, what would it be? All right. Do you feel more confident asking that question now than you did the first time I asked you? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Do you think there's a couple people here before you leave? You said you want to be more intentional. This could be the answer to your prayer, right? <laughs> Do you Eyes think open. there's... Eyes open, ears open. <laughs> yes. Seriously, man. You see how it all works together? Do you think, I mean, like you just go to up to the booth and say, hey, listen, I just want to ask you a question. What question are you going to ask him? If I could do a miracle in their life right now, what would it be? Yeah. And when, you, and when they tell you, what are you going to do? Not even going to ask for permission, are you? <laughs> now you're just going to bow your head and you're going to pray for them. I mean, I'm serious. Like it, it's I would, that. I wouldn't say no to prayer either. <laughs> Some would. Well, and, I ain't going to give you an opportunity, so I'm just doing it. <laughs> well, and, and, it's not about it's, it's obeying God. That's it. So, so now you've prayed for somebody. I believe that's powerful. We probably all agree with that. Um, uh, then you've uh, you've shared, you've prayed for them. What are you going to do after that? After that, I'm going to try to get their information. Try to follow up with them. Okay. Well, what I would suggest you do is you simply encourage them or even challenge them to say, "Hey, if you appreciated being prayed for, let's let me have you repeat that question a few times so you can build your confidence. Right. And what if you wouldn't you share with a couple more people? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks for your help, man. Sure. I appreciate it. Uh -huh. All right. So this is a springboard. Like there's some of you have been here for uh, multiple of these sessions. Um, that's a curveball. Do we have a whiteboard marker? Oh, there's a whole box up in there. So um, we've been here and we've uh, basically what we've been discussing each time. We're trying to wrestle with the question. How do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit biblically um, to participate in God's mission and actually see the fulfillment of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation knowing the Lord, having access to the gospel, but then also the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14, 
which says that uh, when this gospel of the kingdom has been proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. And that's work, worth working toward. And, um, and so we, we wrestle with what does it mean to participate with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to cooperate with God? And what's the source for knowing how to do that? And what better place to go than on our knees with an open Bible? Right. And so we look, we go, we go get on our knees and we just scour the scriptures. What did Jesus do as the model missionary? The one whom Paul said, um, follow me as imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right. So so what we've done is in previous sessions, we've kind of unpacked that. And what we've discovered and basically we've made a handy little um, drawing for this in Mark chapter four. There's a parable where Jesus says the kingdom is as if a man were to go into a field. So you've got a man who goes into a field. I'm going to put a heart by him. He goes into a field and he does what? He scatters seed and he goes to bed at night and it sprouts and grows. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head. Right? And... Um, but he does not know how it grows. I'm paraphrasing, forgive me. But he doesn't know how it grows. So there's an unseen doer, right? The Holy Spirit's what brings the growth. But he's definitely a participating member. He's partnering with God. Okay, so he goes into the field. And then when the time is right, he brings in the sickle because the harvest has come, right? And so, and so um, while that one passage may not be meant to communicate every single thing I'm about to tell you, um, if you look at the ministry of Jesus or the ministry of Paul, you'll be able to go through all of these analogies and find connections with the work of Jesus and the work of Paul and the disciples. And basically what this is, is this represents the man or woman of God who abides deeply with the Lord and obeys and believes it's their responsibility to make disciples. It is our responsibility to share the gospel. So this is the man or woman God uses. This empty field represents lostness. And just like a farmer, if you want to see a harvest, you're going to prepare the field. If you don't care so much about what the harvest is going to be like, you might get a little lazy there, right? That, but real quick, I want to move on. So, so we've got um, the seed represents the gospel, right? And a farmer, if he sows sparingly, he'll reap sparingly. Same way with the gospel. A lot of times we hear an evangelism method, we're like, that didn't work. Well, how many times you tried it? Twice? It's like, well, what do you expect, man? You weren't, you weren't even good at it yet, you know? So, you know, give it a chance. So abundantly, right? Even so abundantly, in Mark chapter 4, it actually scatters outside the field some, doesn't it? The new, the, the new growth represents your discipleship plan. Okay, a, a good farmer worth his salt isn't just going to scatter seed and expect someone else to watch the new growth. They're going to take responsibility for that. And then also, they're going to be the same ones who bring in the harvest, in a lot of cultures and stuff, they'll get help for that, but they're primarily responsible for that. And when they look at their harvest, they're going to decide what to do with the resources. They're going to have extra seed. They're going to have plenty of food, extra seed to sow the next field. They might even have enough money to enter a new field, a gap in losses, a people group or a place that still is not being engaged with the gospel. That's exciting, but they're missing one thing. What are they missing? Man hours, laborers, Right? So it's important how we do these things. We don't do these things in isolation. We do it with success in mind. We do it with the expectation that, hey, I want someone to come along and watch me do this because you're the next generation of disciple maker. We don't do it alone. We don't do it in isolation. 
So what, what I'm reviewing here is the pathway. We talked about this last session, but here's the pathway. And this is a biblical pathway. Um, what I love about that kingdom parable is that Jesus talked about the most important thing in the universe. The king of kings is talking about the most important thing in the universe, his glory. If you can make the connection, because he's talking about his kingdom. But he speaks about it in terms that an illiterate farmer on the backside of the Himalayas can understand. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, when I was called to missions, um, I, um, I did what you were supposed to do. I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, and I intended to go to Nepal. But 9-11 happened during Bible college, and I felt called to the Muslim world. So I ended up going to Bangladesh. And I went to Dhaka, which is the highest concentration of losses literally in the world. And I was there reaching Muslims and had a crisis. I didn't know how to share the gospel. I knew a lot of theology. I knew a lot of academic things. I actually was very successful in school. I knew orthodoxy. I did not know orthopraxy. I didn't know what to do. And I had a crisis. And I never want to see that happen again in anything I'm involved in. If we send somebody, if I have anything to do with it, they're going to know what to do. Right? And so I got there and had my little crisis. And, but it's okay. I'm here today. Got through it. <laughs> it was funny. There were a lot of books I never got around to reading to in seminary. I'd pick up here and there. And I threw all those books I didn't read in a trunk. And guess what a lot of those books were about? Evangelism. And I just started self-teaching and evangelism, reading these books. It's a long, beautiful story. It's really fun to see what God did. But I just threw myself into the task. I failed forward. And I bloodied my nose a lot. And I did it on my own. I did it the hard way. So hopefully others don't have to. But we did it. We got through it. And so after three years, God gave me the, allowed me to go to, to Nepal. Now, Nepal was my first love. I first went to Nepal in 1999 with my wife. We had two kids at the time. We left them with Carol's mother for a month. Yeah, it was stupid. It was too long. But anyway, we went. We just thought that's what was faithfulness was. And when we came back, we were convinced that we should go back to the mission field. So I resigned from my job and went to Bible college. So we had this heart for Nepal. God, by His grace, allowed us to go back there. It was indeed His calling in our life. So we went back there. I knew how to share the gospel. Guess what I didn't know how to do? I didn't know how to make disciples. And so I had another crisis. I mean, I was like life full of crisis, you know? So I'm learning. But I, this time I had a very mentor-rich environment. That area of the world happened to have some really great, supportive brothers and sisters who were wrestling with the same questions. And what we did was we read the Scriptures. We just wore out our Bibles. We're just reading the New Testament over and over and over and over and over. I mean, it's like enough's enough. It's like, no, it's not over and over and over. And what we saw was we saw this pathway. It really is there. This is a pathway that you see Paul and Jesus and Paul established. But then we realized you can have the pathway, but you're not going to plop a John Deere tractor in the middle of a Nepali farmer's land and expect him to know how to use it, right? You've got to use simple tools. We're after movement. So these tools need to be biblical, simple, reproducing, and effective in the local context. And we would do these things called best practice institutes, where we would come and we'd say, tell us every possible tool you can think of that could be used in that field. And we'd brainstorm all the tools and we'd say, okay, which ones meet this criteria of biblical, reproducible, um, oh, get you to the next step, that's the third criteria, and effective in the local context. And we would come up with answers to those questions. Okay, so I demonstrated one of the answers to those questions when it comes to entry, and that's the prayer question. 
Okay, that's what we started out with. If I go, if I'm determined to reach my neighbors and I want to crack the door in a relationship and make it oriented toward the gospel, what better way to start than to say, you know what? I've prayed for this neighborhood for weeks and months now, but I thought it'd be great to actually talk to someone who lives here. And I'm just wondering if God could do a miracle in your life, what would that be? Oh, well, I don't even believe in God. And I went, you know what? That's actually okay. I didn't. I, that's not what even I asked. I didn't ask if you believe in God, but if God could do a miracle in your life, what would it be? And most people will soften up and they may say something. But listen, even if they don't, remember what Paul said in Acts chapter 17 when he was preaching the gospel, right? And it said that some of the people just flat rejected him. But then it goes on in the very same verse, or maybe the verse after, it says, but some said, we will hear more about this. And then what does it say at the end? And some believe, maybe many. I'd have to look at it. Huh? Some, many? I'd, I'm being a little sloppy, forgive me, because I have a lot I want to cover. But, so, so, but you get the idea. There were three responses as a point. So you had a red light, don't bother me. I would like to suggest, if you're mocked, it's okay, you can move on. You know, don't argue with that person. It's a red light. But you didn't know that before you started the conversation, right? You only knew that because you had the, the, the guts and the heart to start the conversation. If they say, I want to hear more, guess what that is? It's a yellow light. It means, it's okay. It says proceed with caution, basically, right? That's what a yellow light means. It's like, you can keep going, but just realize this guy's still figuring out if he wants to do this. And then, of course, a green light, go. So a lot of these tools, like the prayer question, is the very first question I do to open the door. The next tool I might use might be a personal testimony. And this isn't a gospel conversations training, but my point is this. It's an advertisement for gospel conversations training. If we're serious about learning how to communicate our faith, we have to get around other people who are also serious about communicating their faith. And people who have, have experience, they've tried it. We need to create community of practice around that because unfortunately, it's reality. We can be idealistic and pretend it's not true. But if you do this a lot, um, a lot of the people you normally have fellowship with in your church are not, not going to be quite as excited about it as you are. And there's going to be a few reasons for that. They might feel convicted. Uh, they might say things like, well, just because you have that gift doesn't mean I don't have that gift. There's going to be all, there's going to, let me put it this way. If you're moving the needle on losses in your community and you are praying for people and sharing the gospel, you will be criticized. I mean, just face it. Spiritual warfare. I can't explain it, why it's happening, where it's coming from, but it's going to happen. And you're going to need a community of practice, ideally within your own church. And, and, I, and, and I say this, don't, don't, I'm not saying leave your church. Absolutely not leaven your church from within, right? And you have to get what you need relationally, right? And that's one of those things that happens, things like gospel conversations, trainings, things like that, okay? So, so um, yeah, we're doing good. So this is the pathway. We've talked about simple tools. This is all review. But we also want to consider the pathway on developing people. We Jesus says, to make disciples, right? And to teach them, observe all I've commanded. And in the discipleship process, as you're, I found as you're working with people, you have to know, know your audience. That's just very fundamental, right? Know your audience. So it's helpful to have some categories of the type of person I'm talking to. Where are they already so I can actually serve them appropriately, right? And so when we, when we get to know somebody, we don't really know where they're at, but in our training pathway, we would start with teaching someone or training someone 
to simply share the gospel, right? So this would be like an evangelizer. An ev- it looks like ever, but EV. An evangelizer. EV. So that would be a gospel conversations, that kind of thing. As you continue down that path, the goal of these gospel conversations, honestly, is going to be where you can actually bring these people together for discipleship, and we would call that church. It's a church planner, a church planter. As we continue to train people, what's, what's the next thing you'd like, want to see that church do? At one church, it'd be great to see that church multiply, right? Fourth generation, maybe? That'd be awesome. So we call that a church plant multiplier. CPMer. So if we have someone who has the skills, the knowledge, understands the principles and the best practices on how to equip and release their people through the most powerful words that have been like my true north when it comes to being a missionary are the words empower, equip, and mobilize. My role is to empower people, tell them they can do it. They have the authority from the Word of God. They're a priesthood of all believers. Tell them they how to do it. You know, where we're equipping, equipping the saints, like 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul says to Timothy, these things you've heard me say before many, teach these things to faithful men who will be able to do what? Teach others, right? So it's the passing on of how to do this. And then finally, to mobilize. Let's, take, let's, let's mobilize people to the gaps. Where's the lostness, right? So as we continue down this continuum here, and next, if you've got someone who's competent in these things, wouldn't it be great if that person were generous enough to go to a church that wasn't multiplying or that was newly planted and teach them to multiply? Right? And we would call that a movement trainer. A movement trainer. Okay, so these are, sometimes we call these levels of leadership, but it can kind of be under, misunderstood as a role. You know, if we call it levels of leadership, some people, some t- people tend to look at it as a, as a title instead of actually considering where they are in the journey is where it is. We, we, we have to start by identifying our field and sowing the gospel, and then we're going to bring groups together. But then obviously we want to see the group multiply, right? And if we're successful in that, where can we help other churches multiply? That would be a movement trainer. But the topic of this long introduction... Is this last stage where we talk about what about places where there's a completely empty field and there's no work happening there? What can we call this person? And we've 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 started calling this a strategy coordinator. Okay, so this is a pioneering missionary, an apostolic type person who is willing to be sent or to go. Now they have to be sent because there's no believers there, right? There's got to be a sending. And they go to a place where there's no known work, and their role is to catalyze the multiplication of disciples and churches. That's their role. That's what they're there to do. And that's the role I found myself. It felt like I was thrust into it, but actually I'd prepared for it for a long time. But I told you the story about how I didn't have the skills after I got there, right? And so when I went to uh, Nepal and South Asia, I go to all these different trainings. And, and let me let me let me say this also. Um, you know, they the, yeah. I'll just leave it like that. It's an empty field, but but they have a vision for this field, and we'll get that out in a second. But 
as a missionary, I would go like every six months to a year or whatever, there would be like an annual biannual meeting. And there would be some specialist who would talk to us about how to be an effective missionary. And it's funny, like I would go to this, I would go to one of these trainings and I would learn something and I get really excited about that topic, that aspect of being a missionary. And I dutifully go out and I plug away and I do that. But it always felt kind of disconnected. It's like, how does this fit in? Is there something before this? Is there something I should be looking forward to after this? In other words, I didn't understand the full picture. So in the same way, to see the kingdom of God expand, you need a pathway. To be a catalyst, it's also helpful to have a pathway or at least categories to organize your thoughts if God ever calls you to reach the unreached. Now, what I want to suggest is if you understand these tools, this is going to help you do two things. They're going to be help you to be self-led when you're stuck. When you feel stuck, these categories will help you to get unstuck because you have some categories for identifying or diagnosing the problem. Okay? It's also going to help you in time to be a good coach to people who are stuck as well. You'll have an ear for this. When they tell you a problem, you'll have a category to put that in, and then you'll be able to address that category instead of just, just reciting the latest book you happen to be reading, which can happen. So anyway, so what I, um, basically out of desperation, I was talking to my supervisor, and this is a real story. I was driving from Darjeeling down to Delhi in a car, and I said, I just feel frustrated because I'm getting all this input. I don't have any categories. And so I started to list off these categories, and I have a Baptist background, so they all had to have the same letter at the beginning. And it ended up being the five T's. And I want to share the five T's with you as a very powerful tool for understanding the essential stewardships of a missionary or a strategy coordinator. So I want you to think in terms of stewardship. So if you want to be effective on the mission field, you have a responsibility to understand and implement these stewardships. Okay? So I'm going to do a broad overview and keep it really simple, and then we'll kind of unpack for as much time as we have left and answer questions, okay? So the top stewardship would be this, would be target. And for each of these stewardships, there's a corresponding question. So for the target question, it simply is, what is success? What is success? The next one would be tools. The corresponding question for tools would be, what do I do? What do I do? The next T would be teaming. And the question would be, who can I count on? Who can I count on? The next stewardship would be training, which addresses the question, how do I multiply? And finally, there's tracking, which addresses the question, how are we doing? How are we doing? Okay, so again, this is, I'm, I'm subjecting you to my way of thinking. So this is the way it is. So target, what is success? Let's just work through these for a minute. 
what is success? Well, for a missionary, what is success? It is to, we've said it earlier, it's to see um, everyone hearing the gospel. Every person, do we believe that every human being should have the opportunity to at least hear the gospel one time? So it's gospel exposure. But then it's also success is the opportunity to actually um, grow as a disciple maker and to multiply. Okay? So my target came in different forms. There was a very short version of it that I simply used to call no place left. My vision for Nepal was no place left. And before I ever met David Kaufman in the back, he knew me from my Facebook post that I always said, no place left Nepal. That was my song. It was the song I sung everywhere I went. It was the song everyone knew me for. It was the passion of my life for the past 20 years, even before I knew I would actually be there for sure. It was no place left Nepal. Now, let's expand that a little bit. No place left law, the medium-sized vision would be that Jesus would be known by all and worshipped by multitudes. A little bit bigger, right? Known by all, but worshipped by multitudes. The larger vision was that by the year 2025, which hasn't come yet, by the year 2025, that there would be multiple streams of healthy and reproducing churches in every district of Nepal, 74, reaching every people group in Nepal, 175, until there's no place left. That was the vision. That was the target. That's what success was. Was that, that there would be multiple streams of healthy reproducing churches in every district, reaching every people group, until, um, yeah, until, you know, no place left. So that's the target. So what we did in Nepal was we, uh, yeah, before I get in the weeds on that, that, so that helped you understand, like, what are we after? What is success? Now, now that I knew what success was, what do I actually do? Well, that gets into the idea of, okay, let me back up with Target. All right, with Target. When I started to train Nepalis to do what I did, what did I have to show up with? I had to show up with clarity on what the districts were. They all knew that because they had a map. They didn't know who the people groups were. And they didn't know the global understanding of their engagement status, the belief globally. So I would go to a strategy coordinator training and I would say, did you know that the global understanding is that this people group here is unengaged with the gospel? And to which people would say, well, that's just not true. I know a church there. You know, or something like that. They'd be like, really? That's crazy because I walk through that village like once a month when I go to my mother's house for a birthday or whatever, and I could easily engage them. So by coming with information, target information that actually clarified the target, it actually helped them to pinpoint and knew, knew where to apply their resources and their man hours, right? So that was hugely um, empowering for them when I gave them that tool, when I clarified things like that. Um, yeah, and so, so that's all under target. Tools is basically, you know, what do, what do I do is the question. That puts us into the idea of best practices. The four fields actually is a tool to communicate a pathway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it falls under the category of tools, but it's kind of blended. It's a tool to communicate pathway. So we could talk about tools for gospel, discipleship, all that. That's not the purpose of this, but there's a time and a place for that. And I, and I want to say, 
If any of you do not have clarity on best practices for each of those categories, that's our passion, is to equip the saints with best practices that they can apply and then teach others so that this could have a multiplying quality to it, okay? Teaming, who can I count on? That's a sharp question, isn't it? There's a little bit of character built in there. It's meant to be a little edgy. I don't apologize for I really felt good when I came up with that question because it's true. I've been in situations where others could not count on me. I let them down. Well, there's two. I wasn't a good team member. And I've been in situations where others had made a commitment they didn't follow through with. I couldn't count on them. I'm still friends. There's no animosity. I'll see them in the kingdom. It's great. And, and you know, it's not, it's not personal. But they're not my team. They're not pursuing the same vision I am. They're not pursuing the same thing what success is, right? So who can I count? you got to figure out who you can count on. So one of the tricky things with, with what we do as missionaries and disciple makers is we're conditioned to think that success is, if I'm really successful, more and more and more people are going to flock to come hear what I have to say. Well, Jesus knew nothing of that. Okay? In fact, when he had the opportunity to plant a megachurch after he fed the 5,000, he did not do that, did he? He kept moving. Right? And he gave difficult teachings. He gave, I mean, he said crazy stuff like, drink my blood and eat my flesh. And they had no context for that. That was just gross. I am. Right? <laughs> huh? Yeah. He said, I am. I knocked the socks off the. Another great prayer. example. Yeah. He said, uh, pair up two by two, go into this village. You know, don't take any resources with you. You know, and, and what did that do? It dwindled the crowd. And what we discover is Jesus spent the least amount of time with the largest groups of people, and He spent the most time with a few. few. Okay. He intentionally filtered. We have to be prepared for that. If your goal, if you just can't live with anything else but a large group listening to your teacher, that's fine, but you're probably called to be a pastor. Okay? And that's good. Be, be my pastor. It's great. I need it. But, there's, but, that, but there's, they're not going to reach the lost. So here's the deal, like, if, if you are called to be a pastor, at least create a lane for the apostolic where they can go and lick their wounds for a little while, right? <laughs> you cared on, loved on. Here's the deal. If you're only trying to grow your church, you're not going to move the needle on lostness. You're not going to do it if it's all about growing your church. But if you have a church that's engaging lostness, your church might just grow, okay? may not happen as quickly. You may not be able to draw a direct, direct line between that type of work and another button the pew but it'll happen it might happen eventually just be patient hey let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors here they are wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing who actually had proven results would just share with you exactly how to make disciples hi i'm doug burrier a decision scientist and a real life disciple maker this year i'm discipling six of my neighbors that's crazy they don't even go to our church my friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world. How to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials, it's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. 
DiscipleShip.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. So anyway, that's Timmy. Who can you count on? Who can you count on? Um, training is how do we multiply? This is a powerful, powerful question. Because when you're sitting in Bangladesh among 140 million lost people, roughly half the population of the United States in the size of Arkansas, and most of that state's underwater, you realize your calendar is not the plan. I could share the gospel every single day, all day long, and not even keep up with birth rate. Right? So I've got to multiply. I've got to release, empower, equip, and mobilize. Got to do Does that make sense? So in your training paradigm, you've got to be thinking, you've got to be thinking there's three reasons why people don't do things. They don't do it because they don't believe in it. They're not, they're not, they're not, con- they're, they're not committed, number one, is one reason. Or maybe they're not confident. No, pardon me. Or they're not competent. They're not competent. Or they're not confident. That's what I have to remember in training. So when, um, forgive me, brother. Jared. Jared. Sorry, Jared. Jared and I are super close. So, <laughs> but when Jared, like I, I assumed he was fairly committed because we're just due to context. I mean, we're in a Christian environment. I had a pretty good feeling he would be okay praying for me, me praying for him. But first he had to gain some competence, Right. Like I told, I said, Here, here's a good question that generally can unlock a conversation, right? But did you notice you didn't have the confidence, did you? That first time I told you, you kind of, which is fine. Like, you're not dumb. It's just you hadn't done it, right? I mean, like, we would all do that. So we just, even the simplest things we have to do reps on, okay? And I've got a friend who's just, like, hardcore on this. He's just like, man, if you don't do it eight times, don't, don't even kid yourself. You're just on a circuit. You're on a lecture circuit. You're just impressing everybody with stuff you know. If you don't make room in your training for people to practice eight times, you're not going to make a difference. You're going to make a point. Everyone's going to think you're awesome, but you're not going to make a difference because you didn't shut your mouth and let them do what they need to do in order to be confident. So you can be confident, but you've got to get into the confident zone. And you got to do that through reps, right? If you don't believe that, ask your softball team at your church. They get it. They do reps. Why? Because they want to win. That's their target. It's important to them. And they're so serious about hitting their target of winning, they do the reps. We need to get so serious about engaging losses effectively that we do the reps. Right? We're not too good for it. Right? So, yeah. Do the reps. So that's training. Those are some training principles, okay? Another thing would be like the three-thirds process, the idea of when you meet together, you want to meet in a way that others can imitate, okay? So it's all about facilitation. Uh, we're conditioned basically to, to ingest or consume incredibly skilled and expertly crafted material. And I love it. I mean, I love a good sermon. I enjoy good books. I do it. I appreciate it. And I've actually benefited from it. However, the problem is if that, if you, if you can't boil it down to a way where people can self feed, well, you get what happens during COVID when people can't go to church. They they don't, they don't really know how to open the word with their family and say, Hey, can we just, can we consume the word of God, the bread of life together? 
And so we ask some very basic questions. So that's training, and we can unpack that. And finally, there's tracking, and that's the question. The question is, how are we doing? How are we doing? So the thing is, if I don't ask the tracking question, then I'm not going to know. Um, I'm not going to know if my tools are effective. I'm not going to know if the principles I teach in my training are effective. I, I'm not self-evaluating, right? So here's, here's the connection between these stewardships. Right here in the middle, it's teaming. It's right in the center because that's where people live. That's where image bearers live. All of this stuff is other concepts and ideas, but it's about the people. They're right there in the center. It's about people, okay? But surrounding it, you'll notice a connection between target and tracking, don't you? What do you track? You track your target. If success is putting numbers on the scoreboard, if it's whatever it is, that's what it is. And, you know, we don't want to abuse the scoreboard analogy. I mean, it's not, the kingdom is not like that. A lot of the stuff we do is unseen. The fruit is unseen. However, when we track, we want to think about the controllables and the uncontrollables. We want to track, have we been faithful with what we've been told? And is there any evidence in the harvest that it's actually making a difference? If, and so we think about, you know, new people coming to the Lord, baptisms, churches being planted, those are the things we track. And that's related to your target. Okay, so what are we going to train? Well, obviously, we're going to train best practices. We're going to train our tools. So what we have here is we have, a, we have categories and we actually have a pathway for training missionaries to build a strategy. Right? I forgot I had this. And um, this has become one of our pathway trainings now. It's called the strategy coordinator training. And um, the reality is there, this, is, this has been developing through the years. I, I, a mentor of mine named Bruce Carlton began the concept of strategy coordinator. And uh, he started it in South Asia where he would train Indian missionaries how to be missionaries in their own country. And um, basically what the strategy coordinator training does is it allows you, even in this room today, the possibility, this is a very brief strategy coordinator training. Our strategy coordinator training is usually like a Friday afternoon, um, like evening um, thing, and then all day Saturday, and then like half a day Sunday. And in that time, we, this, is the, this is the pathway, and we mostly focus, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, we, we hit all of these. But basically, we're teaching people how to get what they need. One thing I know about missionaries is this, that the missionaries who succeed are not going to take no for an answer. They're going to relentlessly make noise until they find what they need, right? We're simply trying to make it easier to do that. That's all we're doing. We're trying to make it a little easier. So this right here, if when you go through a strategy coordinator training, we really unpack these categories and you'll be familiar with some of these things on this page. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple, not a lot there. But right here you've got your target. So a three-month plan. So this is a three-month plan. So this is only going to give you some, an idea of what to do on Monday morning or Tuesday morning or whenever for the next three months. And then every three months you just reevaluate it. Write a new three-month plan. 
But the first session we talked about, well, right here you've got you know, your sticky vision. So for me, it's no place left. Nepal, it was. And, um, you know, it's changing now. Now I'm working in the world of global migration, so I'm really stretched thin. And honestly, my role right now is to discover and develop literally thousands of strategy coordinators. And if that sounds interesting to you, let me know. And you don't have to know a lot right now. We'll get there together. It'll be all right. But man, we've got huge gaps in lostness all over this country. Los Angeles, Los Angeles alone is staggering. Like the nations have come to us. I mean, like you can't even get into Afghanistan right now, but literally there's 80,000 Afghanis still relatively fresh from their journey here. They could be reached. It's unbelievable. It's a huge opportunity. It's like a missionary playground, the United States. It's incredible. I mean, if you want to mish, man. Miss here. So, um, so father, Father's heart. So right here, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack that this isn't just our idea. God, it's all through Scripture. The Father's heart's for all people in all places. Uh, we're going to look at population lostness, the percentage of laborers. I'm not going to belabor this, but you get the idea. I get you idea. Yeah, 10 minutes. And then um, here, what we're going to do is we're going to figure out what our target is in terms of peoples and places. Again, I don't have time to unpack that completely. Here we're going to look at our best practices, our tools under this pathway. On the back, we will write down our training opportunities. So where do I have a... Now that can be one person, or that could be a whole Sunday school class, or a neighbor, like a family, or whatever. But this gives you training targets. And right here, this is the who can I count on piece. Because remember I said when you train, it's like a filtering process. Just like Jesus gave difficult assignments, a lot of what we're doing is going to be challenging, inherently challenging. But we're not doing it in kind of a taskmaster type, un, you know, like a harsh way. It's like we're, we're, we can't hold each other responsible just like for the fruit. We just encourage one another, right? And so the people who hang on with you, they become what we, we've started to call our 139. So if you can make it your goal to have three people that you really pour your life into, that you maul. Now, maul stands for model, assist, watch, and launch. Okay, you model for them. You assist them with whatever that tool happens to be. Okay, you model. So I modeled for you, and then I kind of assisted you to do it with me, right? And then if I were to turn around and say, hey, tell it to this sister right here, I would just simply watch you do it. And if you were like, what was the next part? So I'd tell you, right? So the, the assist. I'd watch, but then basically be like, hey, man, there's tons of people out there that need to be prayed for. So it would be the launch, right? Model assist, watch and launch. Make sense? And uh, right here would be your tracking. So what are your tracking tools? And again, we don't have a lot of time. It's a fascinating conversation about tracking. But tracking, if done well, can be very inspirational. It doesn't have to be a drag. It can actually give a lot of lift. And so those are the things we talk about in a strategy coordinator training. I'm going to end with a story and, uh, and, and let you guys ask some questions. The pinnacle of our experience, literally, in Nepal was the strategy coordinator training I did in 2014, May of 2014. We'd seen tons and tons of four fields trainings done. In fact, a lot of the guys I were working with, when I said we were going to have a big training, they said, hey, brother, we love you and all, man, but it's not going to be a four fields training, is it? <laughs> I was like, nah, because they were actually training four fields. 
I said, no, nah, man, we're going to do something different. It's, it, it, may, it may not work, but we're going to do a strategy coordinator training. What's that? I said, just trust me. Let's go. So we did a strategy coordinator training, and we really hammered on target. No place left Nepal. And we, tar and we really hammered on tracking, like keeping up with our progress. And it envisioned those guys. It totally envisioned those guys, and four or five of them took on district adoptions. One of those brothers adopted Sindhapal Choke. Now, what was great about that was I wasn't giving them a list of 175 people groups of all of Nepal. I said, you're focused on Sindhapal Choke. Here's a list of 20 or 30 people groups, okay? He focused on that district for three years with a no-place-left vision, and after three years, he saw three three streams for sure of multiplying churches to the fourth generation. And when we really dug down into those churches, we realized that every one of those people groups in that district were in those churches. No place left. It gets better. He said, I think I'm done. Now remember, this no place left vision comes from Paul, right? In Romans 15, 23, where Paul says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. So, so there's no longer any place for me in these regions. So he moves on. So this brother said he was going to move on to another district because he, he developed the leaders. This oop, I left it out. Well, sort of. This is leadership development, right? Where it goes around and around. He had pastors that could continue to multiply. See, he planted these. These guys could continue to multiply. In fact, they could go and teach them to multiply. So he wasn't needed anymore. I said, where are you going to go? He says, I'm going to go to the district right next door. I said, really, why did you choose that district? He said, that district is the epicenter for human trafficking in all of Nepal, except for one village in that district. And that's the village where there's a church. And that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to train that church. And then he said this. He says, we're going to eradicate human trafficking through church planting. Come on. Come on, man. And then he said, actually, I've developed nine other leaders that watch me while I was working in Sindapulcho, and they're going to take on nine other district adoptions. So after three years, and it's not going to always work out. You got to understand, 20 years got me to this point of labor. For me to hear a brother say, I've reproduced myself nine times, now that one adoption is going to turn into 10 adoptions. And that's when God said, you guys, it's time for you guys to lead in Paul. And that's why we're here today. So that's the story. That's what brought us here. But uh, I wanted to ask you guys um, if you guys had any questions the last 10 minutes or so. Is it 10 minutes or five minutes? Oh, five minutes. Okay, I, my watch says 10, so. Yeah, but y'all leave whenever you want to. I'll even open the door and make it easy. Y'all still doing four missions? So it's still going out? Yeah, so I was going to go back with my organization, and um, a lot of some really good friends joined E3. And uh, when I, um, actually, actually, my heart, like, I love E3, I do, but the MPL community is, it's my family, man. Like, these guys are, because they're from no organization or an organization or many different kinds of churches. They're all about the mission. So, but anyway, I talked to a guy, and he just said, hey, um, he said, hey, we, we, need a, we need someone to direct strategy for global migration. Would you be interested? And I said, if you'll mentor me, I will be. And so, yeah. The mentoring process, how long is it? It's like a one-year process? Or so what you need to think about with training, under training, you've got events and processes. 
So think about a bucket training where you get a lot and no one really expects you to remember it all when you leave. It's just kind of like, you just kind of, you're oriented. Like when it, when it comes up in a conversation later, you're like, I remember something about that. So you got to understand, be realistic about event trainings. Um, but we do the reps and stuff. But then you've got to think about the process, and that's the slow drip. So you've got the bucket and the drip. And so it just depends on how the trainer designs it. And more and more trainings, trainers are wising up to the reality that if I commit to an event training, I need to have some follow-up drips so for people can really start getting it. Because like what the gospel conversation is, it, yes, we want to learn how to share the gospel, but really, really, we want, to, we want both. We want to plant groups. So if we can lead them how to plant a new group... Because the thing is, you get into the harvest, you find people that fall in love with Jesus, they're not quite sure they're in love with the church yet. In fact, many aren't. So, but there's other places like, yeah, I should really go back to church, and they hop right back into church. That's fine, too. But, so yeah. I know that was a lot. Any burning questions that I can stand up here for a little while, but, um, yeah. That thing yeah. So basically what we need people to do is to commit to the training pathway to say, I'm going to go to my first gospel conversations training or go to what or get or talk to one of us. Maybe that's already been done and then commit to some kind of a process, which we more most commonly call a residency. So find a community where you can practice this, kind of unpack it over an extended period of time where you're actually going out. There's a rhythm of going into the harvest. And usually that requires about a seven-hour commitment per week for someone who's a full-time person, like working a job. So they're committing to like two hours a week, I'm going to go to the, to the, to the training church. Uh, two or three hours a week, I'm going to go into the harvest. And what's the rest of it? There's something else. Yeah, training others. Yeah. So the rest of the time is I'm going to give my calendar to that. So so basically the preparation, at least with E3, is if you want to be an SC, you've got to demonstrate that you have actively pursued that on your own, under your own initiative, not being supported. You did it on your own and you got what you needed. And now you're you have the preparation to go out as an SC and we'll and we'll help you from there, you know, to do that. So yeah, we're constantly pumping the brakes on people wanting to come with E3. And it, it kind of blows their mind, like, don't you want me? It's like, well, yes, but we want you to succeed. Like, we want you, personally, you're awesome, but we are so committed to you, we're not just going to throw warm bodies out there and seek or swim and you come back broken, right? Because that's what happened when we with the IMB. All these people went, and they just pumped people. They got, they got mobilization fixated. And they sent all these people, and they're like, well, you know, even if 10% stay, that's pretty good. Okay, well, what about the 90% that are just broken and feel useless for the rest of their life? So I have a moral objection with that. So I'm like, let's go ahead and train people here to be successful. And the benefit is, guess what? The people in our country get to hear the gospel. It's like, why are we going to not share here what we say we're so committed to share over there? Right? Where y'all located? Well, the home office hap happens to be in Dallas, but that's just not a big deal because, like, we've got E3ers everywhere. You know, I live in Atlanta. Yeah, I live in Atlanta. So, guys, I just want to say, uh, just as a word of encouragement, man, this is, this is worth dying for. It just is. It just is. I mean, like, like, when we spend eternity together, you know, man, I want people tapping me on the shoulder 
saying, man, thank you for making the trip. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for teaching me to do that so that I could be fruitful. Or thank you for just leading me to the Lord. And I want to spend my eternity not taking pride in it because the unseen doer is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's really doing the heavy lifting. But I want to go into eternity knowing I cooperated with that Holy Spirit. Right? So just put one foot in front of the other. I know a lot of you might feel overwhelmed, especially after my Mighty Mouse thing and everything, but just one foot in front of the other. And just take it to the Lord and say, Lord, what is the next step? And if we can do anything to help with that, we would be an honor to do that. Thanks so much for listening in, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed hearing from E3 Partners. Unfortunately, that's all the episodes I got from them. I wish I had more to share, but that's all that I could salvage. Some of them were, they picked up in the middle of their session. And have you ever started a a show on Netflix like halfway through and you're like, wait a second, what is happening? That's sort of what it felt like. So I just included their track sessions three and four here. And we're moving on to a few more track sessions from last year's forum. Um, and then we'll start getting into some new material. So if you haven't already, please click the subscribe button to this podcast. I would love for you to do that so you can stay up to date every time I release new episodes throughout the year. All right, y'all, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and I hope to catch you on the next episode. See ya.